If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. The more I saw things make a difference, the more I saw people influenced by my articles. My articles cited in the Federal Register where they're talking about endangered species, trying to give them protection. It's just proof. If you really are educated about something and care about it, you can make a difference. What do we need to know about species extinction around the world today and how that impacts us? How can we stay positive and inspired even as we learn about more and more problems that we have to address? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Now, I want to take a quick moment to thank you for tuning in and for all that you do, honestly. In spite of all the challenges that we face in this space, you're here being the change you want to see, going above and beyond to do what you can. And I just have no doubt that every single day you're making a meaningful difference. So thank you for everything you've done. This is just a quick reminder for you to celebrate that. That's all. And now onto our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is the editor of The Revelator, which is an online news and ideas initiative of the Center for Biological Diversity. They provide independent reporting, analysis, and stories at the intersection of politics, conservation, art, culture, endangered species, climate change, economics, and the future of wild species, wild places, and the planet. As you can see, they cover sustainability very comprehensively. Their articles are always super well-researched and often provide insights into things that are different or not talked about at all. So if you go to the revelator.org and sign up for their newsletter, you are sure to learn and read about a lot of things that you may not get to read about elsewhere. So let's get started. Let's hear from the publication's editor himself. Green Dreamer, starting off with what inspired his passion for the environment, here's John Platt. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and that was a really heady time for environmental issues. You had the gas crisis, you had birds dying from DDT. You had the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island, the the really infamous pollution case at Love Canal, which I did not grow up all that far from there. 
Um, moving into the 80s, you had the murder of Diane Fossey, who was researching mountain gorillas. And the first time that the uh, poaching of elephants became so bad, in 1989, we had the ivory ban. So these were just – I mean I spent – a lot of time recently, just trying to answer that question myself. What are all the things? And I came up with dozens of examples of things that led me to care about environmental issues as a kid and as an adult. And as a professionally, I've always been a journalist or a writer. And about 14 years ago, I said, well, what can I do? So I started a little, little blog called Extinction Blog. And that eventually became Extinction Countdown, and uh, and that eventually became the core of my work as a journalist, writing about endangered species, wildlife trafficking, and the people trying to prevent extinction. And uh, that has become my life's work, and it's something I'm incredibly proud of and incredibly grateful to have the opportunity to do. So looking back at all of these experiences together, what would you say is like your biggest takeaway my biggest takeaway is just, you know, for me, I found that my passions ended up enabling my voice and being able to talk about things, being able to do something about it made a difference. And the more I saw things make a difference, the more I saw people influenced by my articles, the more I saw my articles turn up cited in the Federal Register where they're talking about endangered species, trying to give them protection. Um, it's just proof that if you really are educated about something and care about it, you can make a difference. And I think it's a great path and it's, it's helped other people seeing that I've done this to help them go along their own paths. For sure. So The Revelator, it's an online news and ideas initiative by the Center for Biological Diversity. Can you walk us through the intention of the publication, how and why it was started, its mission? Well, you know, as a journalist, I've been interviewing people at the Center for Biological Diversity for years, and I know that they're smart, passionate, incredible people. And a little over a year ago, about a year and a half ago, they came to me and said, hey, we're looking at starting this news publication because environmental journalism is a tough road. A lot of publications have shut down. A lot of newspapers have closed their environmental desks. A lot of uh, – there's just a lot of need for environmental journalism. And in the age of Trump, it became something even more necessary. So they decided they wanted to start this. And it, it hit everything I wanted to do. I wanted to reach a, a different audience. I wanted to have more impact with my work. Um, I wanted to talk to really important people who were setting the tone in conservation issues. So our mission is to tell the truth. That's what the word the revelator means. It's a truth teller. We want to shine a light where it's not being shined. Uh, we want to be a voice for the voiceless. And that's both people and species. And we want to inspire conversation. We want to make sure that it's not just one article that's done and read. We want people talking about these issues. We want people talking about what we're publishing. We want people to voice controversial ideas and and uh, see those go out into the world and see what happens. For sure. So you're the editor. What's been your greatest personal challenge overseeing the publication and <laughs> uh, trying to you know work towards this mission? Oh, man. Well, we we publish somewhere in the range of three to five stories a week. I could easily publish that many a day. 
I could publish a hundred stories a week. There's just that many <laughs> stories about environmental issues that need to be told. And we only have so much per person power and so much ability to do things. So we, we try to concentrate on a few stories. Um, yeah, the personal challenge is it leaves a lot left untold, but how can I, with those couple of stories, tell the big picture? How can I look at things and say, okay, I don't want to just talk about this one issue for 10, for 10 weeks in a row. I want to talk about this and that and the other thing and present a broader portrait of environmental issues and at the same time create kind of a tapestry that tells the big picture at the same time. Mm-hmm. And what have you learned from that? Like, how do you go about doing that? <laughs> Well, it's, it's an approach I always took as a journalist. And I was writing about endangered species. You know, it would be really – I could write about a rhino uh, every day. <laughs> I love rhinos. I love orangutans. I, I would be happy writing about them exclusively. But you can't do that. You've got your, your charismatic megafauna, which is what those are. But there's so many stories out there. Um, so if I told a story about a rhino, then I'd want to tell something about a fish or a plant or an insect. I'd, or if this species was – endangered because of climate change. Well, what about this one? Maybe that's endangered because of wildlife trafficking or habitat loss or disease. So when you realize that you can over-focus on one thing, it gives you the opportunity and the ability to look for the stories that that might otherwise fall through the cracks. And that's an approach I've always taken as a journalist. That's an approach I take as the editor at The Revelator. And uh, we do our best. So it's really important to tell the story of how complex sustainability is. It's not really one issue. It's so many things impacting one another, so many different factors. It's exactly true. And, you know, I, I oversimplified, obviously, when I said, hey, is this species endangered by climate change or by wildlife trafficking? All these things play together. They all are a giant game of Jenga. Uh, they, they can fall apart at any time. And the pe- looking at the pieces individually and as a collective uh, is important. And well, my next question for you is, you essentially have to read about problems all the time. And for most people, <laughs> we can just like read about them when we want to read about them and kind of turn off when we don't want to learn about all these problems. How do you handle this emotionally? Because you kind of have, oh. it's part of your work to constantly dig up the problems and try to shine light on all these issues, talk about them all the time. And Oh, that, that really hits the nail on the head, doesn't it? You know, um, as a journalist digging into extinction, which was and, and and climate change. These are heady issues. These are tough issues. These are painful issues, and yes, it can weigh on you so much. So, you know, I could either turn to drink, <laughs> which I don't, uh, <laughs> but um, or I could say, look. I want to talk to the people who are making a difference in the world, and even if they are the ones who are discovering that this community is going to be uh, destroyed by sea level rise, or this species is going to be extinct because uh, its its habitat is being destroyed. They are the ones looking for the answers. They are the ones looking for the solutions. They're the ones calling attention. So I talk to scientists and conservationists every single day of my life. And part of my challenge as a journalist is telling their stories and not only just conveying them as people, as passionate, interesting people who are looking to change the world or or at least give people the tools to resolve issues, but also to dig through these stories. You know, if I tell three to five stories a week, they could all be terrible, bleak, nasty stories. Or I could throw a couple of success stories in there. And 
I think that is an uh, some, some environmental journalists disagree with me on this, but I think it's important to create a little bit of balance. If again, if I tell four really terrible stories, I want to tell a success story, even if it's a minor success, even if it's just inching along. Because those are the things we can hold up as our as readers, as journalists, and say, okay, it doesn't all suck. It's not all terrible. We can make a difference. We we are making progress. And those success stories are out there. So I think that is an important thing. If you're weighed down by the bleakness of what's going on, look for look for a happy story. They're out there. Um, you know, that's I think why podcasts like yours exist. That's why publications like mine exist because we can tell stories that will inspire people and and also tell stories that will rip their hearts out and crush them and at the same time. So you you have to be cognizant of that and go back and forth. Yeah. So for someone who's really passionate about the environment but feels drained by all these issues, what advice would you give them? Well, the, f- the first thing is to go back to why you're passionate about it in the first place. Um, maybe that means taking a walk or a hike. And uh, and getting back in touch with nature, uh, I love to 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 do that myself. I, I I walk around my neighborhood for a couple of miles every morning first thing, and I'll look for the snails walking on the ground. I'll look for the the birds flying overhead. It just gives me time to think, to feel the wind on my face, and that's a, that's an important thing. So, what are the things that that make people make people impassioned in the first place? Look to those things and uh, for for constant success, and keep talking to people. Find out what they're doing. Um, we all have. It's a collective challenge living in society. It, you're not alone, and uh, other people can help take that burden off of you. For sure. And a big part of the Revelator's mission is to inspire action among readers and accountability among companies and politicians. And I feel like that's really key because more and more people are becoming aware of uh, the issues that we face today. And the next step is really to translate that into action to like move the needle forward. What do you or the publication intentionally do to inspire action and accountability? Well, it's a tough thing as a journalist. Um, you can't necessarily say – Hey, in order to solve this, people should do this. That's really um, not the journalist's role. The journalist's role is to ask the tough questions and give people the information they need to understand the issues. Now, there might be certain things, you know. Hey, this species is endangered. What, you know, what are the groups that are benefiting it? What are the, you know, is is there a public comment period that's open for for people to submit their their information or their passion, their interests about a species that. Or an issue that might be open, so that's that. That's really one of the big things is just making sure that people are aware of the tools they can take, the steps they can take, um, but without necessarily beating them on their head, saying you should do this or you need to do this in order to make a a, a uh, progress on an issue. But otherwise, we're just asking the tough questions. Um, the more we ask questions, even if they don't have easy answers, the more people are aware of the questions, the more people can think and put these things together in their own heads and um, develop their own action plans. For sure. And what's a piece on The Revelator that you're really proud to have published that um, has really sparked conversation or has been shared a lot, been really popular? Well, there are so many. Um, we just published a really one of our first pieces of humor. Uh, it's a little satirical essay called A Living Will Template for Critically Endangered Species. 
And it's formed as, you know, hey, if you're a critically endangered animal, what's your directive if you're, if you're going to go out of business? This, this are out of, uh, out of existence. This is written by a, a writer named Elizabeth Preston, and she just did a fabulous job. And it raises all these issues of extinction, de-extinction, cloning, captive breeding. Um, we've also done some really neat data journalism pieces. Uh, we did one on how um, climate change will bring new diseases to the to areas where people live so they can type in their zip code and see exactly what insects and diseases are coming their way as a result of that. Wow. Um, I've also been doing a, a neat series on captive breeding programs. Um, a lot of species are in trouble in the in their native environments or they're gone. So there are some species that only exist in captivities. What are the scientific and technical challenges and emotional challenges for keeping these species alive in these terrible circumstances and talking to these people, these scientists, these conservationists, these zookeepers who are doing this stuff is, is really helping, I think, to raise the issues of why these species are in, in danger in the first place, why it's so hard for them to recover from the threats that they face, and at the same time sh uh, hold these people up as examples of human beings who are doing great work to try to prevent extinction. Lots of amazing things. So we'll really just have to keep following the Revelator to stay up to date on all these tough questions that you're asking. <laughs> I, I hope you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, for you being the editor, uh, I feel like you have a bird's eye view of sustainability overall because you also cover a wide range of topics. What do you think isn't talked about enough within may maybe like the mainstream conversations around sustainability that needs more attention? Uh, I think one issue, and there are, I, I could probably name a dozen, but one issue is um, that wildlife trafficking affects us all. And yeah, okay, this is an elephant in Africa or a rhino in Africa or Asia or a pangolin in China. But the same people that are doing wildlife trafficking are also the ones running guns, drugs, and even human slavery rings. So you may think that this is not all connected, but this is huge criminal activity. And they are out there undermining democracy and, and stable society wherever they go. And so wildlife issues in a lot of ways are actually issues about human society. And I think it's really important. I, I, I don't think in general the mainstream media, uh, which is a term I really don't tend to use very often, but I think in general the media doesn't address wildlife issues and especially wildlife trafficking very much. So I think it's really important to take a look at this stuff because these are human issues. Every year, at least 120 people who work as rangers in parks and communities protecting these species are, are killed. Hundreds more are injured. Uh, this, these are human issues that we need to talk about. As well. They're not just wildlife issues. They're issues that affect us all. For sure. I actually just read that piece on The Revelator, so I'll be sure to link to that um, in the show notes. So, uh, cool. Yeah, people can check it out, too. So biodiversity, it's really at the heart of um, The Revelator. Can you kind of give us an overview of what's happening across the globe in terms of biodiversity loss? Like, are there any recent statistics you can share or just paint a picture of like what this looks like for us right now? Well, some people call it the sixth great extinction. Mm -hmm. Um whether or not that's true, some people debate the use of that term. It is, no matter what, a biodiversity extinction crisis. We are facing species that are disappearing at record rates. Some, some might say 
hundreds of times above the natural rate of extinction, if not thousands of times above. And we're losing thousands of species a year. The, the reason we don't hear about them is because a lot of them are species that lived in very small areas. Maybe they grew, maybe they evolved on a specific hill and that hill was destroyed for a mine. And these are things that maybe science has never even discovered or never named, or no one's gone looking for them recently. I remember speaking to a conservationist who went looking for a chameleon in Africa that had not been described in, in scientific literature in 30 years. And she went to the one forest where it had been seen, and the forest was gone. It had all been chopped down. Um, so what, why is that important? Because – well, first of all, all these things, I think there's a moral responsibility to ensure that species have a right to survival. If something went extinct because it just uh, didn't have the what are the tools to survive, sure. But if human beings destroyed its only habitat or its only opportunity for survival, that's a bad thing. And I think there's a moral responsibility to, to stop that. And also, there's so much that's important. Um, for one thing, Everything is linked. So if you lose one species, what about the other species that depended on it? You know, so okay, what so what if an insect goes extinct? Well, what about the birds or the snakes or the mammals that would have eaten that insect? What about the the plants that might have depended on it for pollination? So as you lose one thing, it becomes a giant game of dominoes. It, um, the more you lose, the faster you lose additional things. Um, we're, it's it's all an ecosystem. So the greater diversity an ecosystem has, the healthier it is. And we are part of that ecosystem. There's a lot of proof, a lot of research that shows that having a greater diversity of species on Earth is actually healthy for us in terms of, uh, of making sure we have the tools we need to survive on a biological level. And then if you think about it, there's so many different things that human beings have adapted or used from plants and animals, um, not just for food, but for medicines. We've gotten medicines from plants or from spider venoms or weird things like that. Well, what if the next big cure that would have solved some massive health problem in human beings is a species that we've already driven to extinction? So this is happening around the world, and it, it's, not just in the United, it's not just in the United States. It's not just in remote places like Africa or, or, ver or parts of China. It's, it's all connected, and it's happening everywhere. And it's something we all should be talking about and be aware of and worry about. Yeah. Well, let's say that you're talking to somebody who lives in a super urban environment, like a concrete jungle, doesn't yeah. really venture out into nature, maybe like goes to the neighborhood park and stuff. How, what would you tell this person in terms of how biodiversity loss impacts this individual? Um, well, that that's obviously a tough question. But part of that is is the medicine angle. Part of it is the healthy ecosystem. Part of it is just Looking at the amazing, amazing diversity you have there. Yeah, you might live in an urban jungle, but there's a pretty – if you look hard enough, there's a pretty amazing diversity of life. There's plants cracking up through the sidewalk. There's um, squirrels and, and raccoons living off our, our garbage. There's birds flying overhead everywhere. There's bats. Bats are a tremendous, tremendous importance for, for, uh, for pollination, um, and they're, they live in cities very – at very high levels. But that's that pollination angle is probably one of the most important things. If we lose pollination from insects, from birds, from whatever the case might be, then there goes our food supply. 
we're not going to we can't even all live on twinkies without the <laughs> the uh the base ingredients to make them so yeah you may not see the stuff that's out there you may not see the the species miles away or you know right outside the city or right in the city or on the other side of the world but it's all connected and if we start losing a lot of really big pieces we're going to lose a lot more. I mean, as an example, why should you care about an elephant? There are no elephants wandering wild in the, in the United States. But elephants are foragers. They eat a lot of plants. They eat a lot of fruit. So therefore, when they eat that fruit, then they travel their, their huge distances. They poop that food out. And the seeds plant and forests are, are uh, restored. So with, as elephants are poached into extinction, these forests are suffering. And as the forests suffer all the things that live in them, well – how is that connected to people? Well, people might depend on those forests for their own food. If a coral reef is going extinct, if, if it's if it's being bleached from carbon uh, dioxide, or uh, or if it's being blown up by cyanide fishers who are using bombs to to get fish, well, what about the people who depend on those reefs for their livelihoods, for their own fishing supplies, for their economy, for tourism? It's all connected, and, and especially now that we are in a global economy, as things fall apart in one place, it's going to affect everyone in other parts of the world. For sure. So really illustrating all of these connections is really important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so given all of this information, we know that everything's connected. What do you think we need most today to accelerate towards a thriving planet? Well, we need to make some tough choices. I don't know exactly what those tough choices are, but at the Revelator, we try to ask the questions of what those might be. I think it's time to disrupt a few economic models. We're going to have to get this fossil fuel beast off our back, and that means making sure that solar and wind and, and every other possible alternative energy is going to be as powerful and important as possible. We're going to need to think big and small at the same time. You know, what are the big solutions? What are the little solutions? And we're going to need to hold people and companies and politicians accountable uh, because otherwise they'll do whatever they want. So make sure they stay, make sure there's a higher standard and the people stick to it. Yeah, I know this is probably an impossible question, but <laughs> uh, what can like an individual do to support these big changes? Um, well, vote. Mm -hmm. Contact your elected representatives. Make sure that they're aware of your passions and your interests and, and, and what you think are the important things to do. Um, vote with your wallet. If you see a product that's got just too much packaging on it, too much plastic, don't buy it. Look for one that has less packaging and tell the store why you made that decision. And just tell stories. Tell your stories because – People's stories matter, and I think people are what makes a difference. Their stories about how they overcame a challenge environmentally and helped to make a difference can inspire us all and show us the challenges in reality and the opportunity to change. Yeah, for sure. And what are you most proud of having accomplished with The Revelator that can inspire us to hopefully take our next steps? I think I'm proud that we exist, mm -hmm. and I think we're, I'm proud that we are – um, looking at things that a lot of other publications aren't. We try to tell stories that aren't being addressed in other places because we don't just want to parrot what everyone else is saying. So if you come to us, you're, 
you're going to find some things you're not seeing in other places. And if you visit therevelator.org, you're going to see some stories you might not have heard in other places. And that might, I think that might help open people's eyes a little bit on some issues. For sure. Well, is there anything exciting coming next on The Revelator that we can look forward to? <laughs> we have so much. There's always exciting things. Um, I've got an, a number of new pieces coming up on endangered species, some stuff people would not, not have heard of. We did just did our first piece on light pollution. We've got some more stuff on that issue coming up that'll, that I think will really, as I've been saying, shine a light on uh, some issues that people aren't aware of. We've got some interesting essays about uh, science, new science and, and things. And, it, you know, there, there's something new almost every day. So, Awesome. I don't even know what's coming up tomorrow. <laughs> we'll just point. have to follow you. Um, and yeah. speaking of that, where can we follow The Revelator online and you on social media? Yeah, well, I'm John R. Platt on Twitter. Uh, the Revelator is Revelator underscore news on Twitter. Therevelator.org is our main site. We're also on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Um, and uh, we encourage people to, to join the conversation. Before we go into our final five tips for you, just a quick reminder that you can sign up to receive the podcast's weekly highlights for a quick and hopefully uplifting read on Sundays. I write these myself. Uh, if this sounds like it'd be helpful to you, you can sign up for free at greendreamer.com. I look forward to connecting with you there. And now on to our final five and key takeaways. Let's power through. What's a publication or social media account you follow for inspiration? There's a climate scientist named Catherine Hayhoe, H-A-Y-H-O-E, and she is fantastic and inspiring, and she points out when things are wrong, and she celebrates when things are right. Mm -hmm. What do you tell yourself to stay motivated and inspired? This may sound hokey, but I take my inspiration from Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, with great power comes great responsibility, and with even a little bit of power comes responsibility too. What's a simple must do for your health? I go walking every day. Uh, what's a simple action we can take this week for our planet's health? This is repeating something I said earlier, but ask yourself, does this product I'm about to buy come with too much packaging? What makes you most hopeful about our planet right now? Conversations like this one. And final words of wisdom for our green dreamers? We can all make a difference. Um, and that can be in a good or a bad way. So make sure it's in a good way. You make a difference. Green Dreamer, here are my two key takeaways. Number one, everything is connected. I feel like we often talk about extinction as a really distant issue, like this creature species is going extinct in this rainforest on the other side of the world. And while that alone might already be enough to grab us, the reality is that not everyone loves animals and plants that much, and not everyone has the capacity or headspace to prioritize these issues. So I think instead of calling people heartless for not caring, it could be helpful for us to emphasize that connection piece and highlight how this distant issue actually has very direct impacts on us and on our health, because everybody, at the very least, cares about his or her own health. Number two, piggybacking off of that first point, it was an aha moment for me when John talked about how the same people that are poaching and driving endangered species to extinction in that way could be the same groups of people who are causing violence in their communities, who are involved in the drug industry and black markets, maybe even driving modern day slavery and exploitation. 
To connect these environmental issues with social issues that might feel like they hit closer to home, that could be another way to have this resonate more deeply with our audiences. I would actually love to learn more about how all of these different issues are tied together. If you know of any resources that I can look into or experts on this subject that we can learn from together, please let me know. But for now, that's a wrap for this episode. You can find the show notes at greendreamer.com slash 22. Get in touch with me on Instagram at Kamea Shane and feel welcome to email me at hello at greendreamer.com. And finally, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and Green Dreamer. I will catch you later.